October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and it's a great time to have on a couple of experts to talk about breast cancer risk factors, the importance of early screening, and the latest imaging technology. And I'm joined today by breast surgeon Dr. Victoria Van Fossen and by radiologist Dr. Kirsten Brantley, both of whom work for Summa Health. This is Healthy Vitals, a podcast from Summa Health. I'm Scott Webb, and Dr. Van Fossen, going to start with you. We're talking about breast health, so let's talk about some of this. What are some of the concerns or concerning signs that a woman should be aware of when it comes to breast health? Well, I think a woman should be familiar with her breasts and know what is normal for her. Um, her breasts may change during the month, like prior to her period or, and afterwards. So anything that seems abnormal is important to note, um, especially a breast mass or a lump that wasn't there before. Any type of nipple discharge, especially if it's bloody, any type of skin thickening or reddening of the skin. It may even look like an orange peel. Any type of skin or nipple retraction. And then any type of lump in the armpit area uh, that would be like an enlarged lymph node is important to be aware of. Right. So it sounds like things that would stand out that are out of the ordinary, that are new or emergent, anything like that. Those are some concerning signs, of course. So let's talk about risk factors. What are the risk factors for breast cancer? Well, there's several different categories of risk factors. The most important probably is your family history. And it's important to note that you should look at both your mom's history and your dad's history. So things to be aware of would be a first-degree relative, uh, which would be like your mother, your sister, your daughter, um, had breast cancer, and especially if she was under the age of 45. Any uh, family member that has had bilateral or breast cancer on both sides is a red flag. And then any male in the family that has had breast cancer. Uh, we know that male breast cancer is, is pretty rare. It's only about 1% of all breast cancer. So when we see that, that's sort of a red flag that maybe there's a hereditary component. Also a family history of any type of ovarian cancer, um, pancreatic cancer, uterine, colon, melanoma, or prostate cancer that runs in the family may also indicate that breast cancer may be a part of that. Patients that are of Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry may have a higher likelihood of a hereditary breast cancer, especially BRCA1 or 2. Actually, they have about a 1 in 40 chance of carrying an abnormal um, gene that causes or predisposes to breast cancer. Besides family history, there's other things such as reproductive factors or basically the lifetime exposure of a woman to estrogen. So that would include having an early first period um, or a late age at menopause, as well as a late age for their first pregnancy, not having children, or the use of um, hormone replacement therapy for a long time. And then the most important risk factor, uh, which we cannot help, is age. Uh, so advancing age is a risk factor for breast cancer. Uh, we know that one in eight women will get breast cancer during their lifetime, which is about 12%. Breast density, uh, so women that have what we call extremely dense breast tissue, which is um, greater than 75% glandular tissue, they have a higher risk of breast cancer, which may be four to five times higher. Um, so it's less fatty, more glandular. 
And then there's also, importantly, lifestyle factors that can increase the risk of breast cancer, such as obesity. We know that 70% of Americans are either overweight or obese, which is a BMI over 30. That's actually an independent risk factor for breast cancer. Alcohol use, is much, as little as uh, three to four drinks per week, can increase uh, the risk of especially what we call estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. And then inactivity or a sedentary lifestyle also um, has a higher risk for breast cancer. The other risk factor, if there is a history of an abnormal breast biopsy. So if there was a breast biopsy done that showed any type of atypical cells or atypical hyperplasia, uh, that may increase a woman's risk for breast cancer. And then any type of radiation to the chest wall at a young age, like uh, for lymphoma, like in their teen years, that would increase the risk for breast cancer over her lifetime. Yeah, and you can see why it's so important for women to know what their risk factors are, and obviously they may need some assistance with this. And so what is SUMA doing specifically to help identify women who are at higher than average risk for breast cancer? Well, we implemented something called a cancer risk assessment about three years ago. And this is done at the time of a woman's screening mammogram. So when a woman has a mammogram, the mammographer will ask a series of questions that looks at a woman's unique risk factors, such as data points, such as age at your first period, your height and weight, which is to calculate your body mass index, your personal medical history and your family history of breast cancer or other types of cancer, and then also those various lifestyle factors, such as the BMI, alcohol use, smoking history, any history of an abnormal breast biopsy, all those things are used to calculate using statistical uh, models that look at lifetime breast cancer risk. And we have found consistently over the past three years that we have implemented this that about 10% of patients are deemed to be high risk. Now, high risk basically means that a woman has a greater than or equal to 20% lifetime breast cancer risk. So an average woman at average risk has a 1 in 8 chance of breast cancer or 12%. So a patient at high risk would have a 1 in 5 or 20% lifetime breast cancer risk. That breast cancer risk also will identify whether a woman would need genetic counseling or testing. And then the results are calculated and those results are sent to your provider um, along with your mammogram report. And so, doctor, what if a woman's risk score is high? Well, your provider will have received these results in your report, and you and your healthcare provider will work together to develop an individualized plan for ongoing screening. You also may be referred to the high-risk breast clinic, which is a clinic that provides genetic risk evaluation, screening, and prevention. Uh, it also may include enhanced screening, surveillance, and this is all with a multidisciplinary team, including certified nurse practitioners, um, breast surgeons, we have dietitians, nurse navigators that all work together to take care of you and hopefully help you decrease your risk over time. Yeah, sounds like a very comprehensive approach, a real team-based approach, which is great. Uh, lastly, for you today, doctor, what can women do to lower their risk for breast cancer? 
there's several things that they can do. The one is actually just having an awareness of what their risk is. And then the options for risk reduction should be discussed in a shared decision-making environment with your provider. Some things that you can do are lifestyle modifications, um, and this provides a teachable moment for the promotion of overall health. So we know that almost one half or 40% of postmenopausal breast cancers can be prevented by decreasing alcohol use, so less than three drinks per week having a normal body mass index or decreasing, you know, obesity uh, factors, and then increasing physical activity. So exercising at least 30 minutes a day, five days a week, um, will reduce the risk uh, for breast cancer. Eating a healthy diet, uh, which is plenty of fruits and vegetables, more of a plant-based diet rather than a lot of processed foods or red meat type foods. Um, and then getting the regular screenings, including an annual mammogram and getting a physical exam from their physician are also important to do. Yeah, definitely. And of course, uh, just overall health is such a good thing anytime during COVID or to help reduce the risk of breast cancer. Uh, it's just great for mental and physical wellness. And thanks so much for being on, Doctor. So, Dr. Brantley, let's shift to you now. Why should women get screening mammograms? And if they should get them, and we believe they should, uh, starting at what age? So the reason why we recommend that women receive their screening mammograms is to ultimately detect breast cancer as early as possible. Um, the earlier that is detected, typically the easier it is to treat. So we like to catch it before there are any breast symptoms, before there's a lump or any skin changes. That way, if there is a problem, um, it's just much easier to treat. We want to start getting our mammograms um, at the age of 40. Now, you may come across some different recommendations depending on the various societies, but as a member of the American College of Radiology, it is our recommendation that women start their annual mammograms at the age of 40. Unless there are other compounding factors um, like uh, increased risk for breast cancer, in those cases, you may need to present earlier for a screening mammogram, and that's a conversation that you would want to have with your doctor, whether that be your primary care physician or your gynecologist, about your own individual risk and when you should start. Yeah, that sounds right. And so when we talk about mammograms, what's a 3D mammogram, and does that cost more? Sure. A 3D mammogram is very similar to a 2D mammogram. They're both x-rays of the breast with low-dose radiation. The 3D mammogram differs, however, in that we take more pictures um, at multiple angles. And what that does is it allows the radiologist to get a better view of the breast um, in more of a, a 3D setting. And so there's many benefits to that, including um, increased detection of breast cancers at earlier time frames. And it also can help cut down on the callback rate because we're able to tell if something is real or not more readily with the um, addition of the additional images. As far as the cost, there may be some increased cost, but that is going to be passed on to the insurance company. Most insurance companies, including Medicare and Medicaid, are covering the 3D mammograms, so the patient should not expect to have any increased out-of-pocket costs. That's good to know, especially since uh, there's so many benefits to a 3D mammogram. And speaking of mammograms, is there ever a point in which women would stop getting them? There's no set age when you stop getting mammograms. It really depends on the health of the patient. As long as the patient is healthy and they desire to remain healthy, um, then you continue to have your screening mammograms. Up until the point where you reach an age or um, a health condition where if you did find a breast cancer, you wouldn't be inclined to do anything about it 
anyway. But if that's not the case, we just recommend that you keep being screened as long as you're in good health. And what's the difference between screening and diagnostic mammograms? The difference between a screening mammogram and a diagnostic mammogram is that the screening mammogram is done on asymptomatic women who are not experiencing any breast problems. No lumps, no pain, no discharge. The diagnostic mammogram comes into place when the patient is experiencing a breast problem and we need to work up that problem further. Say you feel a new lump or changes in the breast, that is when we would take the next step to do a diagnostic exam. And what we would do is bring you into the breast center to do additional special images that allow us to see more specific areas of the breast than we do just on a standard screening mammogram. I see. So if women are having symptoms, that's sort of the the breaking point there. Screening is for early detection, let's say, and then diagnostic would be if women are actually having symptoms. Exactly. So when is ultrasound used? Ultrasound is usually used as a supplement to our diagnostic mammogram. Um, Say you come in for a breast problem, we would typically start out with a diagnostic mammogram to get a bigger picture of the breast. And then once we identify a specific area that we need to evaluate further, that is when we would proceed with ultrasound because it's a focus test that looks at specific areas in the breast. And Dr. Van Fossen touched on this earlier, but I want to have you go into some more detail, Dr. Brantley, about dense breasts. Our breasts are typically composed of two main types of tissue. There is fatty tissue and then there is glandular tissue. The fatty tissue is, we're able to see through it more clearly so that if there is something new or growing in the breast, it's more readily apparent. When you have dense breast tissue, you have more glandular tissue. And the reason we're concerned about that is because the glandular tissue can sometimes obscure masses or other changes in the breast. And so it's important to look more closely in those areas to make sure that we are not missing anything. And is that when a breast MRI would be indicated? We typically don't do the breast MRI just because you have dense breast. Um, That's where the 3D mammograms are really helpful um, that we spoke about a little earlier. Those typically suffice for a dense breast. When we do a breast MRI, there's typically two indications. Uh, One would be you have a high risk, which will be determined by your doctor, um, where you typically have an increased risk, lifetime risk of breast cancer greater than 20%. Then you would qualify for a screening breast MRI. The second instance that breast MRIs are typically done is when you have a known problem, like a breast cancer usually. And we would do that to further evaluate the breast and do um, a pretreatment workup. And that's two reasons why we typically do breast MRIs. And the natural follow-up is then, uh, how is a breast MRI actually done? MRI stands for Magnetic Resonance Imaging, and it is basically um, a a big machine that we use to image the body, and it uses magnetic technology. So for the breast, um, you would come in, you would be screened and have a questionnaire. Then typically our breast MRIs are done with contrast administration, so you would get an IV, and we would administer contrast during the exam. You lay on your stomach, and you go into the table, and we take several images, several sequences through the breast, and then... The uh, images are put together on a machine and then interpreted. Okay, got it. And as we wrap up here today, doctor, anything else you want to tell women about your area of expertise, whether it's mammograms, 3D mammograms, ultrasound, MRI, we've covered a lot of territory today. Hopefully this is helpful. Anything else? Yeah, I just want to continue to encourage the women. Um, And, you know, there's also men out there, um, you know, 
male breast cancer is, is very uncommon. 99% of the time it's in women, but men do get breast cancer. So it's important for both women and men to know their breast so that they can recognize when changes do occur. And we do stress that our women start their mammograms at 40 and annually thereafter. So just take care of ourselves, love ourselves, and get our screens. Absolutely. And, you know, during COVID-19, it's always great to stay mentally and physically well. Great during Breast Cancer Awareness Month to have you both on. And thank you so much, and you stay well. For more information on today's topic, go to sumahealth.org slash thinkpink. And if you found this podcast helpful and informative, please share it on your social channels and check out the entire podcast library for additional topics. This is Healthy Vitals, a podcast from Summa Health. I'm Scott Webb. Stay well, and we'll talk again next time.